Welcome to the show. And today we're going to be having a conversation with Matt. Matt's talking to Matt's. And Matt is a student at Lake Superior State University. And he is buddies with Alistair, who was on our previous show. So Alistair told me about some of the issues Matt is facing as a veteran and a recipient of the GI Bill and some of the challenges that have arisen from his declaration of a cannabis studies major. And so I want to hear from the proverbial horse's mouth and find out what the deal is and see if there's something that we can do about it, which I can tell you for a fact, there is something that we can do about it. But before I dive into all that, I want to, I just want to get the lay of the land and talk to Matt and, and see what the deal is with his GI bill and the issues that may have come up from cannabis studies. So I have not done any research into this. I I'm walking into this with open eyes. I want to hear his story and then I'll go do some research and talk to some of my policy friends and then probably reach out to the VA and see if I can get a position from them. But what I suspect has happened is that Matt has declared a cannabis, cannabis studies degree major. And the government was like, Nope, we're not doing that because cannabis is illegal and that's our position on it. So we're not going to use our funds to fund something illegal, which is very, which is very typical for, for the government. That's their position on workforce development stuff, helping people get jobs, even though it's anecdotal at this point, it still rings pretty true to me. So we're going to get on the phone with Matt and get his story, get his background and find out what's going on with his GI bill. So here we go. Hello. Hey Matt, this is Matt. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> uh, another day at the office for me. How about you? Oh, about the same here. <laughs> oh, nice. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. it lends a perspective yeah, well, yeah, to, to everybody else. So thanks, man. You rock. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me on here. I enjoy being able to talk for sure. Get my story out a little bit. Yeah. So let's let's dive right in. If you would give us an idea of your background, your story. How did you how did you end up in northern Michigan going to school for cannabis? How'd you get here? Uh, Pretty much, uh, honestly, like I, I was just like a pretty quiet kid in high school. Uh, as soon as I got out, uh, I had no idea at all, uh, what I wanted to do with my life. So I did what most kids do when they have that. And I enlisted, uh, I ended up spending six years in the Illinois army national guard and in the infantry I had an injury in there and ended up, uh, actually using cannabis after my service for that. And, uh, that, that kind of like really got me delving into it. And then I remember I went to school throughout that entire time. I was in the army guard and uh, I was just kind of taking classes here and there. I still had no idea like what I really wanted to do. Honestly, once I started using cannabis and I was like, okay, like this has some really good like medicinal properties. Like this is actually helping me a lot with not even like just uh, my back, which was the injury I had, but like uh, actually like my mental health as well. It kind of cleared my head a little bit. I remember I was Googling uh, at the end of my career, military career, I was Googling, what was it? It was uh, cannabis degrees across the U.S. or something. <laughs> like, it, was, it was just something like that. And I remember seeing an article and it was like a LSSU opened up uh, first cannabis business program and cannabis chemistry and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay, like I, I could for sure 
get in on that. And that pretty much brought me all the way to where I am now. <laughs> yeah. So how old are you? And when was that, that you read that, that you first decided to go to Lake Superior? I'm 24 now. I want to say I was probably about 20, ooh, 22 ish, I think. So it wasn't like a, a long, long time ago. Yeah. Like I had a, I had a hunch a little bit with cannabis. Like maybe that would be my passion, but at the same time, uh, Illinois wasn't recreational, uh, recreationally available yet or anything like that. So it was still kind of stigmatized in Illinois. So I was like, well, do I really want to go do this when, if I do this, I'm going to like have issues trying to find jobs here and here and here and all this other stuff, which Illinois is actually still kind of stigmatized in my opinion. I mean, the whole entire United States is, don't get me wrong, but, uh, Illinois is still kind of having some issues with that and working out the kinks along with the other states that have legalized it. Yeah, I pretty much, I'm sorry. I, I ran it there a little bit. What, no, what no, the question? I mean, rant, uh, <laughs> rant away. You know, Illinois, Illinois is interesting in that there's, it, it's been a pretty contentious licensing process and mm-hmm. the social equity p- programs are uh, kind of in a dogfight with the license holders. I mean, it's out of all the messes, Illinois is definitely one of the, the hottest messes. It's, it's a huge oh. market because you know, Chicago, um, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very expensive from a licensing perspective and it's a very expensive mess over there. Um, oh yeah, most definitely. So yeah. Um, well, the, the LSU class hasn't been around that long. I mean, that's so two years ago, that's, I mean, that's still really early days for the program. So what made you decide to go to Lake Superior instead of Northern, instead of Mississippi or Penn State or something like that? Like, why did you choose there? Um, Honestly, it was just because that was the, like, it it was, I guess, the the cannabis program in the limelight that kind of brought me here. Uh, Like, I've heard of other schools and such having kind of, kind of a uh, cannabis program set up, but uh, LSSU here, it seemed like they like actually had the program like ready to go to get in it, start learning, get a, get your degree and get out into the industry pretty much. So yeah. that like really stood out to me for sure. So what is your, what's your major? Uh, my major right now is a cannabis business. I'm going for a bachelor's in that. And then uh, just recently, we actually uh, kicked up a cannabis production certificate, which kind of focuses more on the extraction and uh, chemical side, kind of like the cannabis chemistry uh, associates that they have right now, mm. except it's just kind of cut in half into a certificate to kind of get people out quicker, I think, give people a quicker option if they're not looking to spend like two years and a lot of money in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that, do you think the education you're getting is, is worth it? Uh, I, I believe it is like uh, our school here, I believe has a um, kind of like a board in a sense uh, has uh, some people from the industry that give the school feedback on their classes and like kind of steer the school in the right direction on, like what they need to be teaching the students to properly prepare them to graduate and get, get into the industry with a decent career. Yeah. So do you think that, what do you think your prospects of getting a job are when you, when you graduate? Uh, I mean, there's always that worry for sure. 
But honestly, with it being such a new industry and it's creating so many jobs, I don't think it'll be as hard as if I, say, got a a bachelor's in environmental science degree or something. Like, I feel like I'd be able to find a job a lot easier in the cannabis industry than in any other industry just because it's still kind of growing and evolving, like even as we're talking right now. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Yeah. Okay. So... I got. I've got a burning question, and I, I just want to get some clarification. Have you had any issues with your GI Bill paying for your cannabis education? Uh, that is a tricky one. There, I, I did. I believe it was twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Uh, there's an article that was going around back when I had social media. I remember it was all over the social media. It was a. Uh, like the GI Bill, federal government was pretty much refusing to pay for any type of cannabis education, just stuff like that. I remember talking to some of the guys in my platoon and in the company about it too, which uh, they didn't really care too much about because it was cannabis and we were in the military. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, honestly, like back in Illinois, I kind of had issues with the GI Bill a little bit already mainly because since I was in the army guard and I didn't deploy to like a combat zone or spend a certain amount of days active, I guess you would say, Mm. um, it it, kind of created this weird, this barrier where I was like recognized as a veteran in Illinois, but federally I'm not a veteran. Gotcha. So like it could be a mixture of, well, the article that I saw about, um, the federal government refusing to pay for any type of cannabis education using the GI bill. It could be a part of that. And it could also be a part of the fact that I just don't have the GI bill because I'm not federally uh, recognized as a veteran. Mm, Okay. Are there any other, are there any other vets that qualify for the GI bill in your course of studies? I'm not that I have heard of at all actually i'm I'm pretty sure that they the government still has their foot down uh on pretty much just cannabis the topic in general they're trying to kind of i think they're still trying to test the waters like let the states do their thing see how the states like fare and then eventually will come federal legalization but um i feel like without support and push from the american public i feel like uh the government will for sure be taking its precious time on getting that legalized and getting proper programs set up and allowing veterans to use the GI bill for like cannabis related education. Oh yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And, and just because let's say we wave our magic wand and boom, it's, it's legalized Mm -hmm. or decriminalized and in some fashion at a federal level, that doesn't mean that that tomorrow all the policy is going to change. There has to go through implement implementation and then it has to trickle down through all the agencies. I mean, it'll be a year's process. And the problem mm-hmm. is, is that there are people that what, were you going to put your life on hold for a couple of years while they try to sort this out? Like, no. Exactly. <laughs> so Alistair gave me a heads up. He said that you may have had some issues and I got all fired up. I was like, that's fucking bullshit. Rah, rah, rah. Like, and, uh, and that's still my position. And so I'm curious. Oh, definitely. I've got some, I've got some policy friends. I'm going to reach out to just cause I don't know. I'm, you know, I was, I wasn't in the military. And I don't know how that intersects with, with policy, but it's something that if that is the case, then there should be a remedy for that. And 
I think there should be scholarships available to people that have served, you know, people like you and people that are that have have I guess quotation true combat veteran status. It doesn't. It makes no difference to me if you served, you served. And if you're pursuing a higher education in in cannabis, then that's the leadership of tomorrow. And so it's really exactly it's an investment in the community and in mm-hmm. in the future. So that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah. I would say you're probably better off going trying to find some combat veterans or just veterans in general. The VA, <laughs> they, they uh, I don't know if they've gotten any better, but when I was in, the VA was not uh, someone that would contact you if you tried to get a hold of them. And pretty much that goes for most forms of government. It seems like, uh, I would, I would for sure start with, uh, like try and get some combat veterans, just regular veterans in general, federal veterans, and, uh, just kind of like talk to them a little bit, see if they have any suggestions that they could, uh, forward, just kind of get this going a little bit more <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, it, it, it is like, I agree. It is complete bullshit that, uh, like I don't don't get me wrong, I didn't see combat or anything, but the ones that do see combat, like that's that, that takes a big toll. I've seen it, and a lot of my friends and some people like that that are back down south. Um, yeah, it, it for sure takes a big toll mentally and physically just on anyone, and for them to get out and then have the government be like, oh well, you can do this and this, but you can't do this. Like there's it seems like they're still trying to control you, even though you're not, you don't belong to them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like it, that shit definitely shouldn't be happening at all. Well, I was, I was reading an article the other night about veterans that had served, got out and gotten jobs in the cannabis industry and they were being denied the, I, I don't know if it's the, I don't know what it's called, but the GI bill loans or home loans or. Uh, oh, the VA home loans and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they were saying that cannabis jobs were too unstable to make loans against. And I went, what? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, that's a little bullshit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but. they're, they, they're unstable because of the actions of the state or of the federal government. Now that's, that's changed from a state's perspective because everyone's, all the states have designated their cannabis industries as essential. So things have changed in this last year, but from 2019 backwards, yeah, any of the instability would be created by the government itself. So there's a, there's a lot of cat chasing the tail type of things going on here where it just go, you just go round and round and go, okay, well, this doesn't make sense. So let's do something about it. And that's not, doing something about it isn't typically what the government does. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm. So how much longer do you have left in your course of studies? Uh, for the certificate, I'll be graduating next semester. I believe, I think with the bachelor's, uh, I wouldn't quote me on it, but I think they may have just added a couple more classes. So I'll probably have about two ish years or so left. Um, Honestly, since I'm pretty much writing this like school out on loans, um, probably honestly you thinking about taking a break after I get the certificate and kind of get in the industry, uh, get some of that hands-on experience and as well as build up some money for me to come back and finish my bachelor's. That way I'm not, uh, 
digging a big hole for myself before I even try and open a can of business. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's a good, that, honestly, that's a good call. And <laughs> you know, it's still very early, but it's conversations that I've had with different business owners saying, Hey, tuition reimbursement. A lot of the things that you see in, in established corporations, I'm saying, Hey, have you thought about this for your employees? Have you thought about that as a way to retain talent? There's a, there was an article that came out a couple of years ago out of Canada and it said the best way to get talent in the cannabis industry is to steal it from your competitors. I just went, well, they're not wrong. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but if people are happy, if they like the, if they like their coworkers, if they're treated well, if they're paid a competitive wage, if they have some of those flexible benefits that, that can come with working at, you know, at, at maybe a, a mid tier cannabis or mom and pop shop, then there, I've seen it where people have gone, Hey, we'll, we'll give you $5 an hour more. And people are like, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. I like it. And, uh, Oh yeah. And that's what you want from, from a business owner perspective. That's what you want. And from a, from an employee perspective, that's what you want is to, to be at a place where you're like, no, this is my place and I want to be here. It's, oh, exactly. Uh, I can't, I can't even tell you how many jobs I've had where it's like the people have broken the job. Like oh. <laughs> just the people I'm working with and stuff. It's like, no way. <laughs> yeah. I, I worked, I worked in two factories when I was in junior college and, wow. uh, you know, it was physical work. You were, you know, we were working on a hundred degree heat making radiators. Mm-hmm. It, the work sucked. It was boring and and labor intensive and and I didn't mind I was young I didn't care I was like cool whatever and I'm just going to be here until I can fucking run for my life out of this place but <laughs> the the people I worked with on my team were awesome but the supervisors were such assholes that I just I resented them and I hated them so much so I agree people people make the difference even at hard jobs where it's just physically hard work it's not so bad if you got, if you got people that you're, that you're in the trenches with and. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just, so I, I agree. I, culture, culture and people make a big difference. And so Most what type of job do you want? Let's say in the inner room, when you get your certificate, where. Uh, I mean, honestly, since even though the uh, certificate is uh, more science and extraction based, it does also give knowledge on the history and chemical makeup of the plant itself. So it's like, even though they say, oh yeah, this is for extraction jobs, like the knowledge from that certificate could be put towards uh, business, edibles, like just all kinds of different things uh, within the industry. Um, Honestly, myself personally, I'm kind of looking for more of Honestly, I could hop in extraction, a grow operation, be an edible chef. Like just those types of things are kind of like what I'm looking for personally. Eventually down the road, I'm going to try and uh, open up my own micro business, hopefully here in Michigan. But that's very much so still in the workings. (laughs) Yeah. And that, to be honest with you, that's a part of you do not want to be first to. There's Mm -hmm. that uh, MRTMA, the Marijuana Regulation Taxation Act has a ton of major uh, glaring issues that are significantly disadvantaging the people that are going to hold those first licenses. So 
Oh yeah. Better not to be the first one out of the gate on, on that one. Let that, let some of the policies shift. Exactly. Yeah. Kind of let the state settle, figure out what they want to do and then well, pop in. Well, the major, <laughs> the major issue is let's, let's do a hypothetical. So I've got a micro license in the state of Michigan. You've got one. And, uh, so we, we can both grow 150 plants. We can both retail and we can both make our own special brownies. And that's mm-hmm. awesome. The, the problem is, is that you're in a silo and so am I. So we can't interact business to business whatsoever. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> let's say you're, you're over there and you're just, you're just knocking it out of the park. You're selling everything. You can't call me and say, Hey Matt, can I buy, can I buy some of your inventory? Cause we're crushing it over here. I can't do it. I'm prohibited. Oh yeah. And that, that coupled with the, the issues with the tax code and in access to traditional funding and now the, the traditional business transactions can't take place. And given the sheer size of these businesses, how small they are, um, that is a, a very expensive recipe for financial devastation. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And so, and you're right on the mark with the advice that I give to job seekers. I say, Hey, go let someone else pay for your education, go work in the industry, get the experience, figure all this stuff out and then go start a business. And it sounds like you're right there. So that's a good strategy. Oh yeah, for sure. There's been a lot of, a lot of thinking, <laughs> yeah. trying to get all this stuff figured out for sure. Cause there's, so many hoops and finances and just everything. I mean, that's how it is with any business, but especially with a can of business, it's, it's a, it's a lot, (laughs) it's a lot to process and be sure you have everything right before you go in trying to get your licensing and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the entire industry is still figuring everybody, everybody's still figuring everything out. Even people that have their expert, they are expertise and have been doing whatever that is for years. Everything is so new that just because what I know today doesn't mean that it's going to have any relevance tomorrow. The, the landscape in cannabis shifts at mm-hmm. times that uh, it, it, it's like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a, a, a roller coaster. Literally it just goes up and down. It's just all over the place. And you know, that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the draw for, for people that want to be entrepreneurs or problem solvers or who have iron stomachs that just want to get into something that as, as time is going forward, it's, it's most certainly smoothing and stabling out, but it is still, it's still, it's still a ride. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got a very, very long winding road <laughs> that we got to walk here. <laughs> yeah. it'll, it'll take time for sure, but it'll, it'll get there with the right support and the right people in the industry for sure. Yeah. So are you part of the cannabis studies club? I am. I'm actually the secretary. I believe you talked to Alistair. He's the, um, kind of like our personal relations guy. He kind of takes care of, he's like the face of the club almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. That seems, he seems to be suited for the role. He, I think last year is when I became aware of him. He was all over, all over social media, just going on and on about uh, Lake Superior and the Cannabis Studies Club. And I'm like, cool, sweet. Oh, yeah. Good job, guys. Like, what a great idea. How, <laughs> how many people are in the club? 
Ooh, I think we have a list right now of, I want to say probably about 74 people. Oh, it, wow. uh, it kind of varies honestly per meeting. Uh, obviously not all 74 people are showing up for every single meeting that we have, but, um, yeah, that's the, I believe the general number that we have on our emailing list. So it's definitely, uh, a club that's catching attention and uh, we actually have just had elections and kind of got a little bit of a new uh, officer board for the club. So we're like actually starting to push more um, just kind of social activities for students and such with, with COVID in mind, Barry, we're not uh, yeah. like hogging up against each other, you know, like <laughs> just doing all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. But uh, yeah, we're, 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 working on actually trying to do uh, some events for students here before the semester ends in like four weeks. So we're, we're, we're starting to try and crank things out now to get the student body more involved and hopefully get some more members and get some more people educated about like cannabis and the industry in general. Yeah, it would be, it'd be very interesting to see someone who has no experience or I mean, just, just no insights into cannabis come through a curriculum and participate in the club and then have a conversation with them after a year or two years. Oh, yeah. I just see how that changed. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen I that. Would, I would love to do that. Yeah. I've seen that with colleagues um, very early on with some of the people that I worked with that were coming from traditional industries to, to support cannabis. And it's very interesting. I, so I've, I've seen it firsthand, but um yeah, it's interesting. People, everybody has their own buttons and it seems like there's, there's enough issues in cannabis that whether it's someone knows someone who, or is related to somebody who has suffered and cannabis has alleviated that pain or there's someone or close to someone who has suffered some of the injustice around cannabis. Those are large enough blankets that I think as soon as it hits home for somebody, and they see the injustice or they see the pain alleviation and the healing benefits of it, then it, it, it just switches. And I, I saw that with, uh, with one of my lawyers and he went from very formal. I mean, he's, he's top notch, fantastic lawyer. Um, but he went from very black and white lawyer to, um, to just loose and just kind of like fired up about the, you know, the, the, the fucking bullshit that happens to people that get wrapped up with convictions around cannabis. And it was interesting to see him just kind of go from moth to a butterfly. It was like, Whoa, this is cool. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would definitely be an interesting experience to witness. Um, I can't, I mean, I've, I guess I could say I've seen a couple people kind of turn that way, but, uh, for sure it, it is still definitely stigmatized and the uh, more we can kind of educate and bring, bring what's been happening and what is happening into light. Uh, I feel like that that's definitely a very big informational key uh, that yeah. we could use for sure. Um, I mean, pretty much just exactly like you said, and I mean, pain management of uh, the issues that pretty much hunting down cannabis has a, uh, caused to some people in certain neighborhoods and certain cities and all this stuff. Like it's for sure. I mean, it's enough to turn some people definitely. I mean, my parents, they were very, 
against, I guess you could say. I mean, probably not my dad as much as my mom, but uh, they were they were for sure against uh, cannabis use and stuff. And then I, I kind of I started using it for medicinal reasons and stuff. And they kind of saw me improve both physically and mentally, and that kind of opened their minds a little bit. I believe my mother, she's still kind of clinging on to a little bit of resentment towards it, but she's definitely getting there for sure. Yeah, that was one of my questions is how did you deal with the, I just, I call it almost a coming out to your friends and family. Oh yeah. So cool. Well, you answered that question. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty accepted all around. I mean, as long as I'm not sitting at a family function after they go to church or whatever, you know, like smoking a blunt or something like (laughs) it's fine with them. But if I, if, if I were to do something as stupid as that, as that, then no, probably not. (laughs) Yeah. You just have to, you have to know there's a time and place for everything. Like you, especially right now within the cannabis industry, like as we've been saying with how people are still kind of sketchy on the topic of cannabis, like just seeing someone walking down the street, smoking a blunt, like out in broad daylight, that that could make some people kind of kind of judge cannabis users and judge cannabis as they already are and kind of kind of make them hate it a little bit more, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I don't have time for the argument of, well, you should be able to smoke a blunt after church on a Sunday and you should be able to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's great, but I don't have time for what, for that I'm more in the practical rubber meeting the road world. And the simple fact is, is that, yeah, that stuff will happen and it will take mm-hmm. time. It just, it takes oh, yeah. time. And we just have to be patient. Definitely. Well, yeah. And yeah. And keep, be patient, but just keep, keep pushing. And the speed mm-hmm. of which things are happening is, is breakneck. It is. It's. It, and oh yeah. Was, yeah. It's a very quick changing and evolving industry for sure. Probably yeah. the fastest I think I've seen in a bit. I mean, just how with uh, different states are doing different SOPs, there's no structured SOPs for extraction or different types of things for testing. I, I feel like some states are probably going to try and start cracking down on that a little bit more since uh, it can lead to mislabeled products and stuff. Obviously, you don't want to be a medicinal patient getting a product that says this much THC and then you eat it and whoa, hello. It's like, it's like three times stronger, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The, they'll have to be standards in place. And usually mm-hmm. the, the companies that are, are more serious, they get after that. So would you want to work? I know you want to be an entrepreneur, but in the, in the meantime, you want to work at like a larger company or like a mom and pop shop? Uh, honestly, I'm fine with either one. My only stipulation is, um, like back home in Southern Illinois, we have, okay, well, when I last left Southern Illinois, we had one dispensary within a 30 minute radius of where I lived. And it was owned by pretty much a local big wig that was in it for the money. Like you sell in 0.5 gram carts for like $90 and stuff like that. And 0.3 gram carts for $60. And like, he's just, yeah. you can tell he's more in it for the money itself. While like I kind of want to associate with my, I want to associate myself with someone that actually has a passion for the plant and has a passion for the medicinal capabilities and just for, just for the plant in general, I guess, honestly, like I I just want to have someone that has the knowledge, has the drive and has the passion for sure. What questions, thoughts, concerns do you have for me? Honestly, I don't think I have too many. I was 
doing some homework before this, so I didn't have a quick chance to write some stuff down. Let's see here. Uh, actually, I do off the top of my head. Do you, uh, Alistair kind of talked to me a little bit, like you um, kind of connect people to different jobs, like at least in Michigan. Did, do you do it just in Michigan or are you like connected to people like all around the legal states? All across the country. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. And uh, what seems uh, to you, what is the most like in demand job do you think that's within the industry? Like bud tender, uh, edible chef, whatever. Yeah, that's that's a really good question, and I'm gonna, I'm going to break it down because different parts of the industry want different things right now, and okay. so on the retail side, provisioning centers, dispensaries, whatever you want to call them, they are looking for general managers for sure, without a doubt. That's the number one hottest job in cannabis right now, general managers. Nice. Yeah, yeah, which is which is great because that's a directly translatable skill set from traditional industries. If you can manage a TJ Fridays, you can manage a provisioning center, period. Exactly. So in the garden, it's it's master growers, without a doubt. And that is not gonna change anytime soon. There is not enough master growers. And that's just, you know, people can take issue with the term master grower. Um, <laughs> I, I, I most certainly do, but either way, that's the, that you, that's the name of the position. So it is what it is. And oh, yeah. um, there are not enough people that have that skill set to come in and run the facilities that are licensed currently and that will be licensed tomorrow and the next day meaning we're going to get to a point where there's going to be more licenses than there are skilled people to run these facilities. And that, that in part is in my view, two pronged one that there just simply aren't enough people that know how to do this. And the difference between growing 72 plants and a thousand plants is it's like comparing kangaroos and elephants. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they have nothing like that. Nothing. And so there's that. The next thing is there are people that have those skill sets, but they will not come in to work in these licensed facilities. The incentives are not there. And I think that that's a dangerous proposition for these guys that, that are out there that are crushing it in the gray market or in the black market. These are guys that as a caregiver, it, the known standard is if you don't make $100,000 a year as a caregiver, then you need to quit and go and work at Walmart or go be a CPA or go do something else because you suck and it's, it's not going to work for you. And that's, that's the historical precedent for can you be a caregiver or not? I'm not going to get into the weeds of reasonable compensation and earnings. I'm, I'm, that's not the argument I'm making today. What I'm saying is that any caregiver worth their salt is making more money cash in hand under the table than they are if they went and worked at a facility. There's a tremendous amount of risk involved with that. And I, my opinion is that as the States move forward with licensing and the, I think the market is going to affect the, the gray market and the black market and that people that consume cannabis are, sensitive to price 
just like I'm going to drive an extra two miles to save a penny on a penny per gallon on gasoline that it's people are sensitive to prices of cannabis. And as more competition comes up and this will be in the next couple of years, as more competition comes up and that retail price starts to come down, then that can start to be competitive with the grand black markets, but also people, cannabis customers, recreational medical doesn't matter. uh, They are wanting of choice and variety. And so where the gray and black market is right now is they've just got volume and they got prices and probably consistently available products. Yeah. <laughs> as we move forward, that's going to change. And then as we move forward, enforcement will be stepped up because now the gray and black market are directly taking tax revenue away from the state. And if there's anything the state hates is that people taking money. Losing money. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So if, if the money is coming out of it and the risk is coming up, then I think that it's imperative for the growers to come in, either pursue a license with, with their friends and family. And more often than not, it's, it's family operations, pursue a license of any type. You may have to move States or, join a team, an executive team, or join a grow team because the advantages are you get a W-2 so you can go buy a car, a house, or whatever. Because being mm-hmm. cash rich, people don't know this, but it, cash is almost useless. There's, I mean, yeah. you can go buy a bunch of stuff. I mean, that's great, but if you can't justify it on paper, there's a limit to what can be bought. And so mm-hmm. having a W-2 is huge. And then having insurance and then also not not being a recipient of civil asset forfeiture and wearing some metal bracelets. I mean, those are three significant factors. And I'm ranting about this because it's something I've been, I've been on for years saying, Hey guys, you know, the sky's falling. I see it. You guys don't, but I'm moving to a different position because this is going to get dangerous. And so to, to answer the question, the, the hottest job in and the cultivation side of things is in that leadership position in the garden, somebody who can come in and whether or not they get, whether or not these guys will or not, I, I know for a fact, they go, fuck you, Matt, we're not doing that. Kiss my ass. And I go, well, yeah, I'm one of you people. I understand the mindset. Believe me guys, I do. Um, but you're all fucked. So and <laughs> write me from the pen. Cause that that's the only option that there's going to be here. Or from the mm-hmm. poorhouse. And and I've said this. I said, okay, well, when you're broke on your ass and you need a job, come and talk to me because I'm here to help. And that fuck you, man. You that's what I get. I, I can't, from from the grower's side, that's what I get. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and, but that's that's kind of like a, a peek into the, the back room of of cannabis. That's it, to be a caregiver or to be involved in the gray market is to be a rebel by nature. And uh, so it's not surprising that these guys – won't come in, but I think they should. So general managers in retail centers, provisioning centers, and then lead grower in cultivation. There's, there, there's not enough laboratories. So anything with a science, a science background, your cannabis, cannabis chemistry, you can get a job very quickly. And then extraction, you know, out of all of the things that I know, I know the least about extraction as far as the processes. I just, 
never got into it because it was not um, one by the time that I had even considered it, there were people that were so good at it that I never bothered. And then Mm -hmm. living in West Michigan, the penalties were so stiff that I was like, Nope, I'm not being involved in this. (laughs) Um, So I, I steered clear, but from a job opportunity perspective, if you could come in and, and know how to consistently dose gummies or cookies or, or beverages, then I think you'd have no issue getting a job uh, in, in a oh, kitchen. Yeah. No, no issue. The, the, the biggest thing about getting a job in the cannabis industry is a willingness to learn. And having experience is fantastic. It, your degree and whatever experience you've got is, is definitely going to help you. That'll move you to the top of the resume stack for sure. But attitudes and willingness to learn, that's what the industry is hiring right now, without a doubt. Um, because there's not, there's, to be honest with you, if I was to hire people and I did this at, at my facility, there's nothing that I couldn't teach my staff if they were willing to show up every day on time and work. And if they were willing to learn, that's all I needed. And so if you've got, those, oh, yeah. if you got those two things on top of your, on top of your education, psh, you're right. You're on ticket, man. For sure. Hell, I plan to be learning until the day I die. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's wise for sure. Yeah. That was, there you go. that was a good question. Yeah. I got a little bit ranty myself there about the whole grower, no, no, you're fine. grower thing. I enjoyed hearing that information for sure. I mean, especially with like the extraction, I'm in the same boat as you with the extraction. I'm still kind of, uh, I'm still trying to get all of that figured out. I'm actually taking classes that's actually just starting to talk about extraction right now. Um, so I'm, I'm still like at the fairly lower level with that. Uh, when it comes to grows though, that's where, I mean, I, I know a little about grows, but I'm definitely not up to the professional level. Um, when it comes to uh, maintaining uh, large grow operations or anything like that, for sure. It, it never ends. I have to be honest with you. I mean, I've grown for years in, in full production facilities. We've won caregiver cup after caregiver cup after caregiver cup. And I have to be honest with you, like <laughs> there's, I, I know the basics. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, can, yeah. I can do it, but you know, when I talk to other growers, I go, Oh, that's a really good idea. I never thought of that. So it's a never, <laughs> it's a never ending process. It, it, it really is. It, it takes a few years to get the basics down, probably like a chef, you know, to make a proper omelet or to make sushi rice. It takes time to learn mm-hmm. these fundamental skills. Once you do, then you're good. And then it's just a lifelong learning process. But that is, that's one thing that I think I'm the most excited about is, as we look forward into the future, having universities actually have a greenhouse with plants because that would be amazing. Yeah. That would. There, there's, what were you going to say? Sorry. Uh, no, worries, <laughs> no worries. There's things that, you know, we can, we can teach you pimping, uh, pimping. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, edit that out. We can teach you how to pimp. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we can teach you pinching and femming and super cropping and training and trellising and defoliating and lollipopping. We can, we can teach all that, but we, we have to actually do it on a plant because in theory it's one thing. And then it's another thing to know, Oh, I can, if I, 
if I squeeze the stock of this plant a little bit, break up the cell walls, then I can bend it over and it's like rubber. And if I don't do that, if I just do the same thing, it'll snap and now I just broke the plant. So there's things that you just have to get your hands on and and do. And it sounds like you guys have a pretty sophisticated uh, extraction lab up, up at the school. Alistair was saying that you guys are using hemp as a stand-in for cannabis. Is that the case? Uh, we are at this moment. Uh, it's mainly, I mean, obviously, it's the federal government pushback that's yeah. causing us to do that. Uh, it's the federal institution. We can't be having, like, cannabis or anything on it. Yeah. But uh, we were lucky enough to get hemp, which it's not cannabis, but it's a lot closer than anything else we could get our hands on pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're kind of like running through, I believe I haven't taken the advanced classes yet on that. Uh, that'll, that'll be coming up next semester, but I believe they have like a kind of a testing class pretty much. It kind of, it teaches you how to, how to kind of just test a little bit and just see the percentages and just kind of dissect the plant chemically, I guess, like with hands-on experience. Mm. Um, actually with our club that we're still working on it cause uh, we don't want to get anyone in trouble. That's, <laughs> that's like our number one thing. We ride a pretty fine line, but, um, our newest president, uh, Fred, he is, I believe in the process of getting his own grow operation set up. Uh, I believe by sometime next year, but he was kind of throwing around the idea of maybe having, uh, just like have like a zoom meeting or something where we bring in the club members and stuff. He's at his, uh, operation on zoom and he just kind of like goes through the germination process. He shows us like what the germination process looks like, like mm-hmm. the paper towel or what have you. He'll like show us the actual plan itself and just kind of like talk about just the pretty much the growing side of it because obviously we don't get a lot of that in school and that's a pretty something you should definitely know like some at least some basics on going into the industry is like uh pretty much how the plant comes to be and how uh, a beautiful plant turns into that product that you love so much like that entire process for sure we're trying to get that ironed out to where we can kind of show that since it technically won't be on federal property but uh yeah, we're just trying to be sure that we're not pretty much crossing the line at any point, which in, in itself is a process. But I mean, everything with the cannabis industry seems to be. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's most certainly something where it's better to ask permission first. <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this, yeah. Um, kind of the, ah, fuck it. We'll just do it. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that wouldn't turn out too good for us if students are walking around like, oh, yeah, dude, we're learning about growing weed in our cannabis club. And, like, teachers would be like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, but, yeah, I definitely need to get permission. <laughs> and how does the how does the campus treat you? Alistair told me a couple stories, like, how do your other professors view your course of studies? How do the other students think of you guys? Like, what's I mean, honestly, I haven't really noticed much of a change uh i mean the only thing i've really had was just a business teacher tell me she was like well i've never had anyone be so open about using cannabis before and that that's probably about as much as i've gotten to like really anything different i mean everyone treats me the same look at me the same it's like 
it's just like I'm coming here just for like uh, a different degree pretty much. Mm. Uh, okay. So what is the, what's the attitude of the students in cannabis studies? Is everybody like all Rastafari and out and. Uh, definitely not. Uh, we actually, <laughs> don't get me wrong. When I first uh, linked up with the cannabis studies club, I was slightly worried about that, <laughs> but uh, honestly, our, uh, member body seems very professional and they seem very committed and serious about getting into the industry and doing good by the cannabis name. Like none of them are like, Oh yeah, 420, we're going to smoke like 24, seven, seven days a week, all this stuff. Like they're, they're like professional students. Like, I mean, that's just how this school seems in general, uh, no matter what program, all the students here, they're very knowledgeable. And uh, for sure, very professional on what they're trying to go into. Yeah, I would love to see the the grades of the the average grades of this of the cannabis studies group or the the course in general. And I would love to see the dropout rate compared to the rest of the school compared to national averages. I'm just super curious about that. Let me write that down here real quick. I'll oh, actually toss okay. that into the club here after we get off this and see if there's any way we can do that for you. Yeah. Just Let's see. Really curious. So you said uh, dropout rate versus the rest other uh, yeah, the rest majors. The and then what was the other one? Uh, grades. The average, the average grades. Oh, okay. There we go. Average. Perfect. So I know uh, Alistair, he's actually pretty close with uh, the um, Your uh, business school dean and yeah, them as well. Uh, for sure, I feel like if I toss that in a group chat, like you could probably definitely talk to one of them or even I could and get that information for sure for you. Yeah, I mean, even even if, if you guys don't want to provide it in an email or a text or anything, just anecdotally, like a phone call, just out of my own curiosity. Um, Oh yeah, for sure. I'm a super curious person. So yeah, <laughs> that's actually, that's something good to be curious about. Cause now you got me curious about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, so it could like show um, how committed the students are in a way right. versus it can help show people that cannabis students aren't just here smoking weed seven days a week and crappy grades and squeaking by like C's get degrees type deal. Well, um, but it, it, also, it can also show you're there seven days a week, smoke, smoke a weed and, uh, and you're still and, doing good and doing just as well as everybody else it, or maybe better. Yeah, true. You there know? you go. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where whether, whether you like it or I like it or we like it or not, what we do reflects on all of us. And that means, that means, um, it means there's an undue burden on, on the, on the first people through the gate, seriously, because I'm a point of contact for the general public into learning about cannabis careers or just businesses in general here in West Michigan. The way that I conduct myself publicly reflects on the entire industry. And yeah. so it's something where that knife can cut both ways. So Whenever, whenever I have meetings, I wear a suit, I wear a tie and I have for years because I needed people to take me seriously because at the time I was saying crazy things, which is just oh, yeah. marijuana business. Oh, that's radical. You fucking crazy. Matt. 
So I needed people to take me seriously before I even opened my mouth. And it's one of those things where having some data like that and saying, look, the dropout rate is lower than the national average or the school average. The club's grades are higher than the school's average or than other clubs average. Then that's a feather that you can put in your cap. And that makes you guys look good. And it makes the rest of us look good. It makes the school look good. And so it's thinking about different strategies at the higher level of what can we do to help change the stigma and and perceptions around the plan, around the industry. Yeah, it's going to take time, but there's things that we can do to kind of nudge that along and push it forward. So Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Probably should wrap it up there or else I'll just keep talking about this stuff all day because I love talking about it. (laughs) Oh yeah. I love cannabis. (laughs) I love talking about it. Just the discussion on it, the, just the issues that surround it, cannabis in general. Like, I just love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just submitted last year. I, you know, I went in, in person and was a guest lecturer at Grand Valley. I talked to Alistair about it. If that's something that you guys want me to do, I'd do a Zoom or something with, with the club and just answer any of the questions or make a presentation. If that's something you guys want, then. Then let me know. We can I think that'd that be an amazing idea. Okay. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I can shoot that in a group chat for sure and uh, see what everyone else thinks. But I know for sure me, Alistair, and probably the president would totally be okay with that. Okay. Just here's a resource to try to make whatever I know available to you guys and, and help you get into the industry. The next thing is, what is your, what's your tuition per year up there? Ooh, uh, I believe it is... This last year was a bit cheaper since I didn't take as many classes. Um, I believe it generally averages around if you're living on campus, 14 or 15 altogether. If you're living on campus, uh, the actual simple tuition rate, I am not a hundred percent sure of off the top of my head. That's definitely something I'd have to look up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's I, when I did my research, that's, that's about what it was, was the 15, which by college standards, that's a, it's a cheap date, which is really good. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Then, um, yeah, I'm going to do some follow-up with my policy friends and dive into this veteran, uh, this veteran GI Bill issue. Do you know if there's any scholarships for people pursuing cannabis degrees? I'm not that I have heard of at all, actually. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of a scholarship for just cannabis. I'm not even sure. I mean, I'm sure you could use scholarships, like other scholarships for the cannabis program, but cannabis-specific scholarships I haven't even heard of yet, honestly. Yeah, if you would, talk to your – I'm giving you a bunch of homework. <laughs> um, no, no, you're good. If you would, talk to the group, talk to – see if Alistair will talk to the dean and – just sample the group and see if anybody's come back with any cannabis specific scholarships. All righty. Let me write that down. I'm the chair of a nonprofit organization called our cannabis. And so what we do is we help people get jobs in the cannabis industry. Our, our mission is jobs for all. And so okay. the way that we do that is really, really basic. It's non, it's not sexy stuff, but it's essential stuff. We help people make resumes, practice interviews, practice for second interviews, 
and then develop some skills to, to help get jobs. And we work with people that have cannabis experience, like caregivers that want to become master growers. I've got two of them that, that I'm sending over, well, three, one's not going to be a master grower, but three caregivers that are headed over to uh, take some positions over near Lansing. And okay. they've got, one of them had like five page uh, resume. And so, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a novel. <laughs> and, uh, and then he had his Instagram. He sent me like fucking 20 Instagram videos of his garden. And I said, I get it. This is a verified grow. I love what you're doing here, but this is not going to get you a job. So what we do is we take people that like that. I'll just make up a name, Jonathan. Um, so we'll take people like Jonathan and mm -hmm. make a professional resume for him that highlights his skills. That way he can okay. get an interview. And then we prep him because interviews can be scary if you don't talk for a living like I do. And we prep him for mm -hmm. an interview and then prep him for a second interview if if he, if he gets it, which most, I can, I can tell you every person that's come through our, our, our curriculum, our programs has gotten a job, every single one of them. And that's awesome. yeah, that's a huge, I mean, it's not going to, those numbers aren't going to stay like that forever, but for now that's a, yeah. that's a nice thing to say. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> and so my primary role is I'm the, I'm the major gift fundraiser for the organization. And I was talking to Alistair and he told me about the issues that you faced. I went, you know, this is, this is fucking bullshit. This isn't right. And I want to do something about that. And as a fundraiser, that's what I can do. And I think that helping, helping veterans is, is fantastic. And that's something we absolutely want to do, but I want to widen it out too, where we, we definitely want to help the people that serve like you and we want to help other people too. And so I started kicking around. I've got a board meeting coming up next week. And we're going to talk about setting up a capital campaign for a scholarship fund to, Ooh, if there, okay. if there aren't scholarships, there should be because philanthropy, mm -hmm. philanthropy is, it's something that the cannabis industry is all about. The industry is very generous. And I think that the cannabis industry leads the way as far as their generosity, when they, when the industry doesn't get any of the offsets that a traditional business does, I think that just says a lot about the companies and the people that, that are charitable in the space. Oh yeah. And I think that the, 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 the problem is compelling. And I think the solution is, is, is real. It's easy. It's not a complex issue. People need money to go to school. Well, let's raise money and, and get scholarships for those people. Boom. There we go. That's, it's not a complex issue. It's a, from a. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> so it'll take, it'll take some doing. I mean, it'll take months to do this, but that's something I'm going to talk to my board about and, uh, and, and just continue having conversations with my policy guys and then feasibility study and then kind of just get into it. But I'll keep you guys apprised of, of how that's coming through. And, um, and kind of go from there. But that was the, that was the real point in this call was I wanted to find out firsthand from a student what the, what this is like. And so thank you for the insights. It's been very helpful. And oh, yeah. thank you for having me again. Well, yeah. And anything that I can do to help you 
don't hesitate to reach out, text, phone call, email, Facebook, instant message, whatever. And if I, if I don't know an answer, I'll, I'll connect you with somebody who does. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Happy to help. A lot of help. Yeah. Well, if you would let me know, let me know some of the answers that you find out in the next week or so. And, um, I will put them all to good use. All right. That works for me. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll get that uh, stuff sent out as soon as I get off the phone right now. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. All right. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. With some of my lobbyist friends, some of my policy guys and, um, and dive into this, this, uh, GI bill thing that, uh, just because that may have been the case in 2017 doesn't mean that it's the case today. And I want to know one way or another, but the truth is, is that I like the idea of the scholarship in general and whether it's, I, I, I want to support the people that are going to be the leaders and the support teams of tomorrow's cannabis industry. And if, if the GI bill's position is prohibitive for people that want to pursue cannabis careers, then, then we're going to bring solutions to that. I hope that's not the case. Seriously. I, I hope that that is not the case that veterans are using the GI bills to pursue higher education and, and that's not the problem. That would be great. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. That would be fantastic. I hope that's the case. And I'll do a follow-up on, on the next podcast when I have those answers and, um, and just kind of keep you guys apprised of that. But regardless, we're going to move forward with a scholarship fund and uh, just because I like it. And I'm going to do a little bit of research on that too. But there needs to be some support for, for the young people, for the veterans, for anybody who is pursuing that higher education and higher education. That's just fun to say. <laughs> so that was insightful from Matt. It's always good to hear different perspectives. And it sounds like his experience is a little bit different than Alistair's. And that's good that he's not facing as much of the stigma around cannabis as, as Alistair is. And that's fantastic. Nobody should have to. And nobody wants to, you know, we, we want to get to a point where we say, you know, it used to be like this for cannabis and people, the younger people to go, yeah, what are you talking about? No one cares about cannabis. This is not a big deal. That's the goal. So until then, we'll just continue the work of walking back the stigma and putting our best foot forward and leading the way by example. And I think that Matt is doing that and it's very, it'll be very exciting to see how his career develops and, and grows into a budding cannabis career. So, okay, we are going to talk to my friend and colleague, Eric Foster. Eric is the most knowledgeable policy expert that I have ever worked with in my professional life. And this is just uh, off the cuff. I called him out of the blue and just hit him with this question. So I, w I just want to get his take, but we're going to dive deeper into it. But here we go. Let's call Eric. Hey, Matt. Hey, Eric. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Oh, another day at the office. So, uh, thanks for letting me record this. I really appreciate it. And let's just dive right back into our conversation. So for context, the question that I posed 
was, has the federal government's position changed to your knowledge offhand? You know, I'm just calling you out of the blue with this question. Has the federal government's policy position changed for people who hold federal veteran status and their ability to have declared cannabis studies majors? Are they able to utilize their GI Bill to pay for a cannabis studies degree? So I'm going to say probably no. Well, I'm going to say no, and it's twofold. First off, because marijuana has not been descheduled as a controlled substance via the Controlled Substance Act, the problem is anything federal regarding benefits, regardless of what's going on in a particular state, the application of federal benefits for veteran services, public housing, economic development, tax benefits, you cannot apply when it comes to this particular, when it comes to cannabis. So based upon that, I would say no, that there has not been a change. What would have to change to codify, and the problem would be, sometimes in these situations, you would say, well, can the department on its own, through the administrative rules process, can they make a rule that would create exemptions or carve-outs? Unfortunately, no. And the reason why they can't is because they would need the statutory change to declassify. When marijuana was added, and I believe the Controlled Substance Act was passed in 1970, when marijuana was added to the Controlled Substance Act, that was by statute. So everything that you do from that point has to fit within the four corners of the statute language. If you don't change the statute language, then the department can't make its own administrative rule change. And for your audience, the administrative rules are when a bill is passed, signed into law, now how do you actually work that bill into daily operation? That's what administrative rules are. The, the daily operations for that particular department or agency from a school board all the way up to a federal government and everybody in between. And so unless you change that, and since there's been no movement on any legislation beyond the State Banking Act that passed out of the House, there's a bill on the table that could pass out of the House on a broader package of items, but it's not going to move in the Senate. Right. So it won't become law. A bill being passed by itself does not give the department enough time to change. And then there's another dynamic, too, which is as we're talking through the ability to, from a VA vantage point, can you use things as it relates to the GI Bill towards um, if you work in that marijuana industry? And your benefits can be denied. I just read about that. You're an employee in the industry as well. So, what needs to happen is one, 
there needs to be a lot more continuing education on how the law works and impact people as it relates to federal benefits and state-based legalization of marijuana and how the two conflict and what you could lose based on why your state allows something because it's not a mirror allowance on the federal level. Federal Trump, well, federal supersedes state. Let me change that because I don't like using that word. <laughs> federal supersedes state. And then state supersedes county or city when it comes to the purview of whose rules and laws and statutes take precedence. Yeah. So. And it's unfortunate because you would want to see now that states are doing medical research, I mean, Massachusetts and Maryland in their statute, Maryland actually now has, uh, in addition to Pennsylvania having a clinical registered license, Massachusetts has a medical research facility license for entities to be licensed to do just specific medical marijuana research yeah. and adult use marijuana research as it relates to medical benefits. So in the state of Maryland and in Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and other places, they've written into the laws that we're not waiting on FDA approval like we have in Michigan in the bill that passed by the voters in 2018 for adult use where there's a provision for research but it's tie bar to just PTSD only and if the FDA approves it. These other states are actually saying we're not going to wait. We're codifying it and we're using our powers under the 10th Amendment for state rights and Article 4 of the Constitution to give ourselves a carve-out within our sovereignty that as long as you do the activity inside of our borders, it's legal and you cannot be impacted. Okay. So, so if they're willing to forego their GI benefits, then they can go forward. Yeah, but now that's... Maybe what states need to do, and then I'll shut up, <laughs> States may need to look at how do you create some supplemental programming to allow veterans to still be able to access a state version of a GI benefit if your state allows for commercial, medical, and or recreational marijuana and degrees in that area because you don't want to cut out that universe of people. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's another deep, another deep policy issue without a doubt. And so would I, would I look like a fool if I said that our cannabis was creating a scholarship for veterans who are pursuing higher education and cannabis, cannabis curriculums that are denied using their GI benefits to pay for their school? That's a that's a that's a really wordy way to say that we're providing veterans to we're, we're, we would provide scholarship to veterans who can't use their GI bill to pay for their cannabis education. So you're asking me, should the industry? Or? No, no, no. I'm saying if our cannabis 
the nonprofit. Oh, our campus. Yeah. Yes, your nonprofit. Was to create a scholarship for veterans to help pay for their higher education because the GI bill won't would, would I be, would I be a fool for saying that? Am I incorrect in saying that? So not necessarily, but one of the things that our cannabis at any nonprofit because of 501c3 status, which yeah. is granted through the federal government, through the IRS, you would need to check to ensure that that activity does not deem you potentially eligible for your 501c3 status. If they hold you harmless where you can do that, and you get that in confirmation from the IRS, move forward and do okay. it. And I think it's something that the industry should support because it is a vehicle well, it, to help returning veterans get into the industry. Yeah, I've been I've been talking to students up at Lake Superior State and two podcasts ago I was talking with a young man named Alistair and he turned me on to a young man named Matt. And I went, well, let me talk to Matt. I want to, you know, talk to all the Matts. So I, I called, <laughs> I called Matt up. And I just got off the phone with him, and the, the rumor was that Matt was a vet, and he is, um, he doesn't hold federal veteran status. He's considered a veteran in the state of Illinois, and I'm, I'm not going to dive into all that. I don't know anything about that. But it, my, com- my conversation with his classmate, Alistair sparked something in my head. And I went, you know, one, this is not right. And let's do something about this. If, if this is, and I hope that it's not, I honestly hope that as I talk to you and as I do a little more research, this is not the case because this, this is services that, and, and entitlements that veterans have earned. Our cannabis doesn't need to come in and do this. The government should do this because they said they would. So there's that, but I'm I'm in functional reality and that's not the case. So I'm I'm saying, okay, let me look into this and see if this is the case that GI bills could not be used for cannabis studies. Okay. And then I went, you know what? What other scholarships are available for just lay people, just non-veterans or veterans, just anybody who is pursuing, you know, quotations, higher education. And after talking to the students, they came back and they said, none. I went, hmm, well, it's still very early, and that may be the case, and I've done zero research except for talk to two students up in northern Michigan. So they are querying their cannabis studies club. They've got about 75 members, and they're querying their dean, who they have a good relationship with, and we're, we're just going to do some discovery. So what I would say, and this is me not being an attorney, not being a CTA. Yep but understanding policy and understanding enough about both lanes. If the IRS says no, what I would suggest is this could be something that if the, if operators in the industry or interested parties wanted to put together a vehicle for something like this, yeah, and perhaps put it together in a another type of structure. And off the top of my head, I'll be honest, I don't know structure by type, but if they were to say, 
let's look at what other vehicles we could use to attack something like this yeah. and create this opportunity and create the place where you can park the money right. to then be able to use the dollars. Then helping with the communication and facilitation is a pathway. We would never say do anything that is to run afoul of what the IRS says. Right. As it relates to you as a nonprofit. Right, right. If then, but if they say no, there hopefully might be things that you can do just from a general information vantage point that don't put you afoul of the right. feedback and rulings or declared statements from the IRS as it relates to your tax status. It still helps people understand and become educated on what is out there for them. Is this a, I would say though. Is, is this a Bob Hendricks? Is this a Bob Hendricks question, or is there a more specific um, nonprofit lawyer that I should go to? So the intersection of nonprofit and commercial marijuana and federal statutes would say that you'd want to go to an attorney that understands. Both of those lanes, okay. I think Bob Hendricks would be a good start point Okay, because I know he is very strong in understanding the commercial marijuana legal dynamic. Yeah. Then, and I would hope and expect that he probably is good on the nonprofit side as well and then can be able to give you a path and chart a path for our cannabis. Yeah. What I would suggest, though, is that our cannabis should look to see how it can work with interested parties and stakeholders, which could include industry operators, could include ancillary service providers, yeah, and could include the state or local communities that would look to do things that can help in this activity to create this vehicle. Because really the core is you need a vehicle for those interested parties to place dollars in to then help this population to be able to access a line of education that can lead to career opportunity. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Do I need to, is it, should I reach out to the VA? Is there? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt to reach out to the VA. Yes. Yes. So to get clarity and this is the the vantage point of being in the place where you are right now, you do need to reach out to the VA. You do need to reach out to the IRS. So there does need to be conversation to find out if there's been any additional discussion declarative statements, policy recommendations, regs that have been addressed in the past year on this particular topic. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go and look foolish trying to solve a problem that is already solved. But you do want to know for clarity's sake. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what the goal is. It sounds like is, do I go get clarity, which yes, you do, 
And then after you get clarity, then you can make the next determination. Yeah. How do I use the clarity that I've gotten to move the process forward with parties who might be interested in working with me in this particular space? Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks for the impromptu policy walkthrough. There are a wealth of information as always. I'm going <laughs> to jump off. I got another Zoom right after this. So it's back to back to back to back to back, which is fun. I love it. All right. Well, another problem. Glad I can be able to. Yes. Yes. And um, let me give you a holler next week. I got some stuff in the works. So let me give you a holler next week. Okay. Great. Perfect. Thank you. Hopefully it's helpful for you and for your audience. Absolutely. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, that was Eric, Eric Foster. And if you, if you couldn't tell, the man knows policy. So I am going to go do my homework. I'm going to reach out to my treasurer, and then I'm going to reach out to some of my attorney friends and just move through the discovery phase of this right now. I doubt that it's going to be a straight path forward. It never is in cannabis or around cannabis. But this is something that is really important to me and to our organization, and it could have a humongous effect on people's lives. I am all about that. That's what, that's what our mission is. And so I'm going to go dive into it, but that's going to be where I leave it today. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the cannabis field. Bye-bye.